so yesterday, Nintendo did, I think, what I was expecting them to do, which was to announce the SNES Mini. Um, mm. It is uh, this beautiful little box in the continuation of the Classics, Mini Classics line, or whatever they're calling it. There is, I guess, two versions, really. There is the ugly US version of the yeah. SNES, uh, and then there is the attractive version uh, that we got in Europe, and I think it was the same in Japan as well. I think it was the same design. There, it's going to be available for eighty dollars in September, I think. Right mm-hmm. now, I guess talking about availability, it's worth discussing what happened with the NES Mini, which we spoke about at length on the show in the past which was a ton of supply constraints that Nintendo seemed to have. Supply, you know, kind of in line with basically all Nintendo console products. They they always seem to have some supply constraints of some description. But when they were announcing this and kind of doing the press, I think Nintendo went to great lengths to confirm to a bunch of different publications that they're trying to make it better for the SNES Mini. They said to Polygon that they are making significantly more units this time. Uh, whatever, <laughs> What that means, we'll find out. Um, and they're apparently saying now, so they're kind of saying up front, that they are planning to manufacture the SNES Mini up until the end of the year. That is the current plan. <laughs> that is progress. <laughs> the whole three months of manufacturing. <laughs> That's all they did last time, right? Like so it was kind of came out in September up until the end of the year. Yeah. But this, you know, they, they they're leaving the door open where they like kind of will evaluate it. But they're at least kind of saying up front, right? We're going to try and make more of them, and we're making them for three months. I was seeing some uh, information that said that apparently Nintendo sold around 2.3 million units of the NES Classic, even with these constraints. And I expect they will sell more of the SNESs. They'll make more, and I reckon they'll probably sell all of the ones that they'll Mm. make again. Mm. Well, I I guess, you know, it makes sense considering all the criticism that Nintendo got. And we're talking here before the Switch. So before Nintendo won back a lot of goodwill from the gaming community and the gaming press. Uh, They got a lot of questions about what is going on with the NES Classic, with the NES Mini. And so it makes sense to come right out, you know, this time and be, we're making more of them, so don't worry. I guess I just want to know what it means significantly more units if you're, because there's there's a part of me that sort of thinks that they like the idea that people are scrambling to find one and that there's this sort of, you know, um, rush to find one and to sort of make it the hot, rare item of the holiday season. So I wonder if maybe it's also part of the, of the strategy to... And uh, now I, maybe I want to ask Shade if this ever happens or if it's just, just like a urban legend. If these companies usually produce these consoles but they send out shipments in smaller quantities to create this sort of higher demand and anticipation because it seems so strange to me that Nintendo doesn't have the resources to make more of this and to send a bunch of these consoles to GameStops and Best Buys, you know, around the US and around the world. It just seems strange uh, that they either mismanaged the launch so badly or they underestimated the success of the NES Mini or if maybe the strategy that they had sort of backfired because you know they wanted to make to make it like a rare item and then 
more people than they imagined wanted to buy one, and so now they're they'd be like, well, we're gonna make more of them. But I want to know if it's uh, if it's ever really a strategy to 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 intentionally send fewer units to retailers to increase demand, uh, um, even virtually to increase demand and to increase anticipation. It's nearly always a case of bad planning. Mm. It's almost never a case of cynicism. Here's mm. the the issue: if you make too many units. Because, you know, you have to commit to a certain volume of production run. You can't just turn these machines on and off uh, willy-nilly. So you have to commit to a certain production run. And then there's the issue of continuing production. Because once you start production, you don't really want to have too many stalls in the pipeline. So what would happen is they would estimate the demand. And then they would create as many as they could afford to create for a to satisfy the demand for initial period. And this usually means that they have to get launch day demand absolutely perfect. And that would give them a gauge as to whether to ramp up or to slow down production. So my guess is they massively underestimate the demand that they would have for this. They thought it would be a, a curio. I don't think they understand that their customers would love a device like this. And here's the other mm. thing. If you, if you make too many units, you're in trouble. If you make too few units, you're in trouble. It is really a case of forecasting. It's the same in any um, hardware commodity business. I think um, if you get the product right, then it's nearly always going to be impossible for you to satisfy day one demand. You're going to have queues. You're going to have uh, completely overbooked pre-orders and so on. It happens with any high-demand consumer device these days. It's not limited to any one company. And you could cynically say, well, why didn't they just keep the manufacturing run going for a while and delay launch? Well, you know, there, there are commercial reasons why people don't want to delay the launch. I mean, in Nintendo's case here, they want that long run-up to the holiday season. And it makes total sense for them to make use of that. Also, they have significant resources right now committed to production of Switch. And they don't want any of their resources taken away from the, the production or the marketing or promotion in any respect of the Switch. Anything that they do that, that isn't for Switch, they will consider to be a secondary effort. Yeah. So this is a device that we all want, right? I mean, I, I tried to pre-order one today. I couldn't get one for love or money. I don't know what was going on there. You know, at one point it was going for 80 quid on the Nintendo store, then it's going for 70 quid. This is what I was reading about anyway. And then Amazon were doing for 80 quid and then they dropped to 70 quid. And then there was some other online retailer that seemingly had supply and then they're all gone. So whether they're getting uh, trickled out um, pre-order allocations bit by bit, depending on their demand, and then feeding those numbers back to Nintendo and saying, hey, guys, listen, we got a problem here. We need more of your thing. And then my guess is Nintendo would adjust their initial production run according to pre-order demand to make sure that they do satisfy the demand a bit more accurately this time. So, yeah, I mean, you could imagine it's cynical, but I think more often than not, it's much more profitable to have just enough and to have just, you know, literally just slightly less than just enough to earn the side of caution for the day of launch. So you do create a little bit of demand and you do create a little bit of craving, but actually more often than not, it's just a case of bad planning. Mm -hmm. I read uh, an article on Ars Technica um, a week or so ago 
where they were talking to Nintendo's Senior Director of Corporate Communications, Charlie Scabetta, talking about Switch shortages. And that basically ours asked them the question, like, are you creating full scarcity? Like, is that what you're doing? And they said, it's definitely not intentional in terms of shorting the market. We're making it as fast as we can. We want to get as many units out as we can to support all the software that's coming out right now. Our job really is to get it out as quick as we can, especially for this holiday, because we want to have units on the shelves to support Super Mario Odyssey. Like, and I believe that, and I think it's a similar thing for the Switch and the NES Mini, and whatever Nintendo's doing, it's, it is extremely difficult to forecast for a product that hasn't existed before. And I think that was the same for the Switch and the NES Mini. I expect that they just, they had no idea how many of these things to make. So they didn't make enough. And they're still they're still not making enough Switches, where like it's still, in some areas, impossible to get one. Oh, yeah. You know, and I know that they don't want that to be the case, right? Like they want to make as many as they can. Why wouldn't they? They want to sell them. And I think with the SNES Mini, there will be shortages, but I reckon like if you really want one, you'll be able to get one of these. And I don't think that was the case with the NES Mini. But I do believe, same way, that they will cut this thing in at the end of the year. Right, like I think that that it will only last a short period of time and they'll they'll cut it the same way as they did with the NES Mini. Like these are these are holiday season things these are like little things that they think are fun and they're putting them out there to drive just some additional cash flow but nintendo's marketing machine is focused on the switch as it should be yeah they're totally novelty items aren't they a hundred percent a hundred percent no no way do does nintendo consider this to be strategic but having said that my guess is that part of their strategy given their um obsession if you don't mind me saying with mario is that they do understand the value of their heritage and that they can exploit that value in these little bursts i mean what next are they going to do a um a, a classic nintendo 64 next holiday season well, what if they so. do you know i'm i'm up for that i want a gamecube too like i want all of them oh, yeah. man. <laughs> So let's talk about the games, right? The games for this, I think, I think are significantly more interesting. So I'll tell you, my initial thought when I saw this come out, I was like, I'm not going to get this. I played my NES Mini once, and then mm. I, that was it, right? Like, and I have it. I think it's this cute little thing. It's like a little piece of gaming history that I have in my home now. Like, it doesn't take up any space. It's fine. But when I saw this announced, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to get one of these. But then the list of games that they had were more interesting and more appealing to me. So there's, what is that, 20 or something? I'm going to rattle them off real quick, and then we can pick out a couple to talk about. So Contra 3, The Alien Wars, Donkey Kong Country, Earthbound, Final Fantasy 3, which I think Federico put in brackets here, actually Final Fantasy 6 because of localization name change, Uh, F-Zero, Kirby Superstar, Kirby's Dream Course, the Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, Mega Man 10, or Mega Man X, Secret of Mana, Star Fox, Star Fox 2, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Hyper Fighting, Super Castlevania 4, Super Goals and Ghosts, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars, Super Mario World, Super Metroid, Super Punch-Out, they really loved Super, and Yoshi's yep. Island. Now, Federico, do you want to pick out the ones that are exciting to you and why? Well, um... Where to where to choose? Okay, um, I'm gonna go with Super Metroid first. Uh, it's one of the greatest video games ever made. Um, 
Then I'm going to follow with Super Mario World again, possibly one of the best platformers, like 2D platformers that Nintendo ever created. I am among those people who believe that Yoshi's Island, especially if you can play it, the GBA uh, port, not the SNES version that was a little too dark, uh, but the colors of the GBA port were amazing. So Yoshi's Island is a great platformer. And then I, I would say, of course... A Link to the Past. Uh, Zelda Link to the Past is also excellent. But, you know, this is a, a fantastic list. Uh, there's a couple of games that are really not... You know, I'm, I'm really not a... Never been a huge fan like Contra and Donkey Kong Country. But, you know, Star Fox, Secret of Mana, um, Street Fighter, Castlevania. And even, I mean, there's Punch-Out and F-Zero. We haven't had an F-Zero game in years. This is a good list. Uh, I'm just sad that like there's no Chrono Trigger, which I would argue is the best RPG that Square ever, ever made for the SNES. It's a solid list, and it's sort of it's a testament to the fact that the SNES, unlike the NES, uh, at a I'm just gonna say at a better and deeper catalog of games. Uh, and you know, even if if the SNES sold fewer units than the than the first NES, we're talking like. A, like a 13 million unit difference. The NES sold to you know to date 62 million units, and the Super Nintendo sold 49 million units. Um, which it's also a discussion of. I wonder if sales between the NES Mini and the SNES Mini are going to be different. But anyway, the catalog catalog of games on the SNES is deeper, better. Nintendo had more experience back then. Uh, of course, the console the console was more powerful, so you know you had the experiences like Super Metroid, sort of a of a predecessor of the open world games that we have today. Zelda. I mean, these games are amazing. But I want to talk about because this is so this is so unusual and uh, weird. Weird that Star Fox 2 um you know, it's in this list that you would think, well, of course, there's Star Fox and Star Fox 2, but actually, uh, Star Fox 2 never came out on the SNES. It was shown, it was advertised, people could play the game at CES 1995, uh, back when there used to be a thing called uh, CES Winter, I think, um, and it was on, on like on marketing uh, booklets. Uh, retailers were shown, were sent this marketing material for Star Fox 2. There were demos, videos. It never, it was never released because the development of the game took longer than expected. The team that originally worked on this, I think they were called Argonaut, maybe Argonaut Games. They were Argonaut. based on the Argonaut yeah. Games in the UK. Yeah, they were a neighbor of mine. Yeah, <laughs> and they wanted to exploit an even more powerful Super FX chip. So the Super FX, this is a quick aside, the Super FX was a custom chip that was built into the first Star Fox cartridge, and I think also in other games, maybe Stunt Race FX was one of them. It was a game to enhance the graphic capabilities. It was a chip to enhance the graphic capabilities of SNES games because you just couldn't put a chip into the console. So these folks devised a way with Nintendo to put a chip into the cartridge so to make a more expensive cartridge with a more powerful game. So they made the first Star Fox with the Super FX chip and then they wanted to make an even better uh, version with the new Super FX chip inside. But the development took longer. Nintendo was mm, launching the Nintendo 64. Um, the game was complete but not finalized. 
And so they just decided to never release the game and to adopt some elements of Star Fox 2, such as the tank, for example, like the Land Rover thing, uh, and bring them to Star Fox 64 on the Nintendo 64. So Star Fox 2 was never actually released. And now, 22 years later, we are getting Star Fox 2, what was supposed to be the SNES game, on the SNES Mini, with a twist that to unlock the game, you need to complete, I think, at least one level of Star Fox 1, and then you can unlock Star Fox 2. This is so odd (laughs) and awesome at the same time. It's the, if you think about it, it is the first, first party Super Nintendo release since 1996. Uh, Super Mario RPG was the, I think it was the last uh, Nintendo published game on the Super Nintendo. So 22 years later, 21 years years later, we are getting another Super Nintendo game from uh, Nintendo, which is kind of (laughs) awesome. I also have never played Super Mario RPG. Oh. So I'm going to play that. I have to say, like, for me, I am a big fan of Donkey Kong Country, so I'm going to play Me that. too. I actually used Donkey Kong Country to illustrate how to get a game right to the team I was leading at the time. They go. didn't like me for it, you know? I said, but, but just look at the way they do this. Just look at the way they do that. It was beautiful, utterly stunning. The graphics were leagues ahead of anything available on Super Nintendo at the time. Rare yes, were the yeah. first companies to start using, uh, I believe it was silicon graphics machines to uh, create graphics for the Super Nintendo. And it really showed. It was, for me, one of the best platform games ever made. Yeah, as I said, this is a solid list. Final Fantasy VI is considered by many the best Final Fantasy with the best story. And most of these games, whether they have been ported to the Game Boy Advance or the Virtual Console, or maybe you've played these games with an emulator, uh, these are not necessarily new games. They are popular games, but it's great to see Nintendo um, doing the SNES Mini because now you have a enough like a legal and hopefully great from a technical standpoint way of playing again these original games for the Super Nintendo. Um, I'm just so happy to see Super Metroid. It feels like this is also the year of Metroid, besides you know, <laughs> the, the year of the iPad, of course, but that's another, that's another <laughs> podcast. Uh, does, that, does, also, does that make it the year of Tichi as well? Uh, some people say so. I, uh, I like to think it's the year of the iPad and Metroid. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a solid collection of games. There's maybe a couple of them that I would have wanted to see, uh, especially Chrono Trigger. It just feels odd that Chrono Trigger is not in this list. I'm surprised not to see Secret of Mana on there as well. There's Secret of Mana. Is it? Yeah, no it's in there. It's in there. That's why it's so strange. There's oh my Secret God. of Mana, but there's no Chrono Trigger, which is so strange. I don't know. I guess oh, the other thing Square... I don't, don't know if you guys picked up on this, but the thing that made me really happy is apparently uh, the controllers have a five foot cable this time. Yes, it's longer. And, and not some dinky short. Two-foot. Five yeah. foot is still not long enough, though, I don't think. <laughs> right? Like, okay, it's longer, but I still don't think it's long enough. Yeah. Like, but, you know. It, it, it could be really bad. You could have, you could be in the US and therefore have that really ugly version of the mini SNES sitting in the middle of your living room. I know. We're going to get a lot of hate for this, but I think that this is an unequivocal fact that the 
the the PAL version of the SNES is way better looking. Like the the Famicom, which is the Japanese version, and the SNES, the the European version, is the true Super Nintendo. Yeah. The American version is the ugly Americanized take that for some reason existed and now Nintendo had a chance to make it right but no 20 years later they're still trolling Americans with that design <laughs> they gotta do it though right like you know yeah. you, you've gotta yeah. be because the whole point of this is buying yeah. your SNES right like, something that you remember yep I wouldn't have bought this if they just had the North American NES no yeah. way I wouldn't yeah. have bought this no way but I want to talk real quick about the virtual console. Mm. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a whole bag of sadness. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do it. Yeah. I think the virtual console is dead. I think this is part one of the two-part strategy for virtual console. I think now you will buy these boxes that have the games in them, and you'll also get some free old games with the subscription service that comes with the Switch. I think that's going to be it. And the Virtual Console may get stuff that they can't make a little box for. So GameCube and Wii, for example. But anything past that point, like NES games, SNES games, and N64 games, I think that we're going to get these little little boxes that we play these on, uh, and that will be it. Which is, I think is fine. I mean, I don't know how many more times I need to keep buying these games. Having these little boxes that I can just plug into a TV and play like works for me, I think. But I, I, I find it less and less likely the more that they do this sort of stuff that there's going to be a virtual console on the Switch that looks like the virtual console we've had in the past. See, I think your your idea makes sense and they're probably going to do that, but it doesn't work for me and I'd be really sad if that happens because the whole point of the Switch is I also want to have the virtual console and I want to be able to take those games with me and because they are 2D games, the battery is probably going to last a bunch of hours more and you know i mean i'm gonna keep buying those games because now i have a better console i don't have a wii u i don't have a 3ds i have a switch and it's perfect to you know i want to play metroid i want to play street fighter or some old mario game now i can take it with me anywhere so i think you're right i think this is probably like the easiest uh solution for nintendo and they're gonna highlight you know those free games that you get with the subscription for the online service but I'm really sad about it. And I'm, you know, it just seems like a wasted opportunity to, you know, again, I'm one of those people that thinks just let me pay monthly and give me full access to the whole catalog of the virtual console. Like, I'm going to give you 10 bucks for virtual console Netflix. Uh, instead, I have to buy a little thing every year and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find it. And then I got to plug it into my TV and it's got a short cable and, you know, uh, supply is always short. And not all the games that I want are going to be into the tiny console because it doesn't have an online service. So I am restricted to 20 something games. I'm sad. You're probably right. I wish, it, you know, things were different with the virtual console and then Nintendo had an actual strategy and plan. But yeah, whatever. I think they have one. You just don't know it. But, but, but I think that the majority of what you're going to see is these two things. Like, it will be yeah, to prop up yeah. the online service and to, to sell these little boxes at Christmas. And they may add more, you know, and I, and I really think that, you know, if they're going to do any virtual console, it really makes sense to do stuff that we've never been able to do before, you know, like Wii games or GameCube games. Like, why not do that rather than just keep 
bringing Super Mario Brothers to every platform they've ever made. Um, uh, so you know, we'll see. Uh, but that that's where I think that's that's where I was going to mm. put mine on the table right now. I think that's what Virtual Console mm. 2017 and beyond looks like. I got I got a question for Shahid. Okay. Um, here's what I want what I want to know. So what happens to these unreleased games? Like, do they keep the code on some hard drives somewhere? And then, like, I'm not sure how this works, like, from a preservation perspective and from, like, a licensing perspective. Like, how do these things happen? You just discover some old code and then you you need to find an old console to test it again and to emulate it. It just seems so fascinating to me that these things, 22 years later, a bunch of technologies have changed, the people in charge have changed, and but they're still able to make the game run again and sell it again, which is interesting to me. I'm glad you asked. It's a profound achievement, I have to say, for all of the reasons that you list. A while ago... I had a conversation with somebody within PlayStation. This is many years ago, actually. And at the time, I was trying to get um, access to certain older first or second party games with the purpose of re-jigging them slightly for release in India with a new skin. And that was my uh, crazy idea. So I approached First Party with this, and they looked into it. And what happens is that even for games that are five or six years old, to be able to recreate the build environment for those was next to impossible because the tools have all changed. The operating systems on which you run the tools have changed. The hardware on which you run the tools upon the operating system that have changed have also changed. Then... All of the supporting tools that you need to get stuff to work together has changed. The software that you use to create the game has changed. The pipeline tools that you use to build the original assets have also changed. None of those things exist anymore. And what happens is that people don't archive every part of uh, the tool chain. And it's Mm. also impossible to archive every version of a development machine. So... When you when you try to preserve the original game, it's not just about preserving the code, right? If you want to recreate it or change it or to adapt it to a new format or make it work in some kind of virtual machine, you need to preserve the entire software and hardware environment that was used to create that game. So that meant that they had nothing available that, that could be used. They were not able to resurrect anything, even though they had source code these things there was just no way they could use that source code to build a working version of the game so for nintendo to be able to produce something that they say is going to be working on on this system which presumably doesn't use the original chipset but uses some kind of emulation is incredible absolutely incredible so i can only imagine that it is done purely through emulation and that somebody somewhere has a digital archive of every game that went through their approval process. Hmm. But it would go, It would only be a final game, right? So it'd be the final image um, that was used to produce the cartridge. And that must be sitting around somewhere. I mean, I guess I could always ask Dylan. Uh, Dylan Cuthbert now runs Q Games, and he's based in Japan, has been based out there for quite some time. Uh, he's working with PlayStation on, on other projects and 
uh, he was actually the the lead programmer on uh, Star Fox, and I believe Star Fox too. So you know he's got a long, long history in this. But I could always ask him um, because you know having been responsible for Star Fox and Star、mm. Fox Two, he might have some idea about、mm. what happened to the assets and whether there was any possibility of reproducing any of the original code, or whether it is going to be entirely emulated and therefore it's just a case of someone finding an image that was lying around somewhere. But still, twenty-two years later, an image, man, I've got floppy disks and hard disks and、uh, you know. All kinds of material going back to those、uh, those days that I cannot read anymore. You know, my source code discs from way back when are unreadable. So for Nintendo to pull this off, it's just it's just fantastic. Unless,、yeah. of course, they, <laughs> they asked around and somebody else had a copy of it lying around. Yeah, I mean, it's that that is so fascinating to me. Like I always imagine there's like people walking into these abandoned office buildings. Like they they open some drawers and they find cartridges inside, and they like they blow on the cartridge to remove the dust, and they <laughs> un- uncover the <laughs> the image of the game. And it's <laughs> it's, like, it's <laughs> the Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark, the warehouse, right? Yes, it's probably less <laughs> epic than that,、uh, but still, it's it is impressive.、Uh, that's why I wanted to ask you. It it seems to me like it's impressive technically, and.、Um, You know, maybe someone will do like a behind-the-scenes story with the original creators, and like what I want to, what I want to, see, what I want to see is to get those folks from,、uh, you know, like Dylan, for example, the, one of the original programmers, to look at the final game once it comes out with the SNES Mini, and if they can spot any major differences, that will be interesting to me. Maybe, maybe I could have a word with Dylan and ask him if he'd be interested in that. So I want to ask then: Did did we have we tried to pre-order one of these? Now I think Shahid, you said that you tried but couldn't. But I assume you want to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love the SNES. It's my favorite Nintendo of all time. Even well, more than the, the Switch, Switch is now. Yeah, okay. The good. Switch is good now. Good to check. Good to check. Yeah, before today. Tichi, have you got one? Well, I texted my guy. Ah, like, yes,、hey, of course you did. I、My、sent him. I, I sent him on WhatsApp a link to Nintendo <laughs>、uh, Italia tweet.、Uh, I was like, "Hey, this was just announced.、Um, uh, when you see it in your、uh, system, can you hold a copy for me?" It's like, "Yeah, sure."、Uh, as soon as it becomes available for retail,、uh, I'll、uh, I'll text you and I'll and I'll get you a unit. Of course,、It's、you like, did. Okay, of course you did. <laughs> I was able to get a pre-order on Amazon. No. So I have one coming. After I was like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna get it," and then I saw the link go up, and I was like, "Ah, okay, I'll like, get it."、Eh. So I, I have a pre-order in. Um, SNES man, it was it was my console. That was what got me into video、yep. games, you know. And、yep. so I, I think I need it even just for the nostalgia, just for holding it at home. That that would be it for me. I'll be happy with that. All right. Let me take a moment to thank Casper for supporting this week's show. Casper is the company focused on sleep that make the premium, perfect mattress that they sell online for a fraction of what it will cost in store. Casper's award-winning mattresses are developed in-house. They have a sleek design and delivered in an impossibly small box. Casper now also, as well, offer an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets, so your entire bedroom can be covered in Casper materials if you would like. Casper's in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing their mattress. It's obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price, and this is why they have. 
Over 30,000 online reviews of an average of 4.8 stars. People love their Casper mattresses. The San Francisco research and development team have developed a proprietary foam that relieves pressure and increases airflow. They combined it with a springy comfort layer to contour to your body and keep you cool. This means that Casper mattresses have just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices, and they are designed and developed in America. They have cut the hassles and costs of dealing with showrooms and are passing those savings directly to you. One of the hassles that they've gotten rid of is having to make that decision in a couple of minutes when you're in a mattress showroom or a bed showroom, if it's the mattress that you want to sleep on or you want to take home, because they will deliver a mattress to you for free and give you a 100-night home trial. So you can decide if it's the mattress that you want to then keep in your home and spend maybe a third of your life on. If you don't like it, it's completely risk-free. You can do free returns as well. This is in the US, Canada, and the UK. With Casper, you actually get to sleep on the mattress before you make your decision. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and you'll get a refund of everything. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com remaster and using the code remaster at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I wanted to talk about a couple of games with you guys. Um, one mm. of them is uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm. So I never played it. I know. No spoilers. All right. No spoilers because okay. I'm like super okay. early into the game. But I've had it on my list forever. Um, and the only reason I haven't played this game is it came out in Europe like three days before the Switch. So I didn't get it because... My life was then consumed with Switch games. And I've been having it on my mind for ages, and I finally downloaded it, and I started playing it. And I'm a few hours in, um, maybe like six or seven hours in. It's really great. It's beautiful. The, the game is absolutely stunning. I don't have a PS4 Pro, but it looks just fantastic on my PS4. One thing that surprised me immediately, I found it kind of funny, was picking up the PlayStation controller and feeling just how weird it felt. Now I've been playing with the Switch, the Joy-Con <laughs> wow. for so long. Because the Joy-Con really is just a mini version of a game controller, right? Like everything's smaller. One of the things that uh, I immediately noticed was how much bigger the analog sticks are on the uh, the PS4 controller. What are they called? They're still called DualShocks. Yeah. 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 I, c- I can't remember if they changed that name or not. But yeah, the, D- like DualShock Four, DualShock Four. That's what we're going for. Like the, the analog sticks now, like you know, compared to the Joy-Con, they're much bigger or much higher, and it felt really weird to hold the controller. It was it was kind of funny. Um, but once I got used to that, like I've really, I have really been enjoying the game. The thing that I am most excited about with this game is the story. The story is really intriguing. Like everything that's set up, the world that they're creating, and kind of as you start to play more and more, you you get. The story unfolds, and the thing I find really interesting about it compared to a lot of games of its type is you know things. You can tell things that are going to happen, or you can have a good idea of what's going on in a way that your character doesn't. It's like you know more things than your character knows based on just general context of the world that you live in. So I don't want to say more than that. But that's something that I found really interesting. And the main thing that is pulling me back into this game and is making me want to play it is because I keep thinking about the story because I'm interested to see where the story progresses. And this brings me to my, contra- my beginning of my contrasts to Zelda. 
Because these games are relatively similar in that way, right? They're these big open world games where you can go and do things in whatever order you want to do, and there's a storyline and there's side quests, and you know, it's that kind of type of game. It's a big game like that. So, like, kind of RPG y, but more action y, right? Like how uh, a, Breath, a Breath of the Wild has been. So, the first contrast is that I didn't care about the story of Zelda. Like, the, the story wasn't there to intrigue me. The story was there to just take me from place to place. Like, I, I didn't really feel drawn in by the story of Zelda whilst I am with Horizon Zero Dawn. But there are things gameplay-wise, so, like, the gameplay I don't find as enjoyable. So, like, you can't climb anything, right? Which feels weird. Like, I come up against these hills and I have to run up them or jump and hopefully try and traverse them by jumping. But you can only, like, climb and grab on things that are painted yellow, right? Like, it hasn't got that go anywhere, do anything that I'm used to in Zelda. It's more traditional, right, in what you can climb. You can climb what the game will let you climb, right, which is how these games tend to be made. It's how they've always been made, mostly. But then you've got something like Zelda where it's just like, climb it. And and that was really jarring to me because playing is weird because obviously Horizon Zero Dawn is so advanced, but it felt primitive in places because of that. And it's a really weird feeling. It's what happens when a developer breaks the the usual conventions and allows players freedom that they've never had before. Suddenly everything else just feels, well, dated. Yeah, and it does. It feels like I'm playing a really good-looking, like beautiful game, but it feels older in a way now because the mechanics are so different. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn compared to Zelda it requires a lot more stealth. And I find the action, so like the the fighting, a little bit repetitive in places. But I've I've paid attention to some reviews and stuff of this game. And apparently, at the stage of where I am, that is normal. There is like a, a stage relatively early on in the game where it can get a little bit repetitive before you start unlocking some cool abilities and weapons and stuff like that. So I'm willing to just ride this out. But the stealth act part of it, if you pay attention to the stealth, you can ver- you can vary things quite a lot. I mean, I tend to be somebody who gets a little bit impatient with stealth games and just starts running around and shooting my bow and arrow at people. Um, But, you know, whatever, right? Like, I'm just trying to pay more attention to doing the stealth stuff rather than just, like, running in and shooting arrows at big dinosaurs made of steel, which is what the game's protagonist, like, what the game's villains are, basically. Um one thing I also found funny, it's a lot of bow and arrows, right? This is this is a bow and arrow focused game. Uh, I keep finding myself twisting the DualShock to aim and remembering I can't do that. Because I really like the combination of with Zelda with using the sticks plus the motion controls. I, I kind of do a com- like a hybrid of this when I'm aiming with an arrow. Sometimes it's quicker for me to just move the thing as opposed to try and, like, find it with the stick. And I've been finding myself, like, just moving my shock and nothing's happening. And I'm like, I get this moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> so it's been, it's, it is a great game, and I'm going to play more of it. Um, but it, it's just been fun to compare it to Zelda. I mean, the other thing is there's Zelda DLC at the end of this week, right? So yeah. I'm really excited about that. I actually oh, picked up man. Zelda for the last couple of days. Just been making sure I'm getting myself back into the flow before yeah. the first DLC yeah. pack. I've been doing the same. I'm excited. I'm really excited to get to jump back into the game and have like 
big new things to do, right? So I'm looking forward to that. Um, is it the Master Sword trial thing? Uh, that's kind of the big thing that they're dropping, so I'm looking forward to that. And one other game that is on my radar is Wolfenstein. So mm. I de- why? So Wolfenstein New Order um, is that is the game that came out in what like 2016, something like that, and apparently was really liked. Like it got rated very highly. It had one of the greatest game trailers I'd ever seen. It yeah, was just just right out there, you know. And you know the, the the gameplay looks looked pretty good at the time, and I remember at the time thinking that it looked interesting, but I never played it. But uh, Wolfenstein Two: The New Colossus was one of the big one of the big games of E3 that people were excited about. So it seems like since E3, a lot of the video game journalists that I follow online have started playing Wolfenstein either for the first time or replaying it. So I'm seeing a lot of renewed buzz about this game, and I didn't pick it up at the time, so I'm thinking maybe to jump into Wolfenstein at some point as well. It's on my, it's in my to-doist as a game to download, maybe once I've played a bit more of the Zelda DLC. But yeah, it's just been funny that like this game, which is old now, uh, has been getting like a renewed life. Uh, New Order actually came out in 2014. Wow. Oh, wow. So, but yeah, people have been jumping in and playing it, and a lot of the people that hadn't played it before uh, are kind of... I'm seeing people like Extol the Virtues, like they, they really, really are enjoying the game, so I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to go for it, um, especially if if new if new Colossus the the second one, which is out in October, is going to be really good, right? Like if that is really good, then it apparently helps to have played the first game. So I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about jumping. Did you play Doom at all, the 2016 version? Mm-mm, did not. Oh, I I played that for a fair bit, and what surprised me about it was how well. First of all, how visceral and amazingly fast it felt. And the second thing was just how good it was at capturing the feel of the original, mm-hmm. which I thought would have been next to impossible because, you know, hey, the world's completely changed. But they managed to achieve both really well. It felt like a really visceral, full-on um, get-into-alpha-state shooter. And it still had that feeling of the original where things were coming at you in insane volumes and you felt just invincible when you got things right. Plus, it was still very scary as well. Really, really good effort. Yeah, you see, the scary is why I'm not so sure of. I don't like it. I don't like scary. <laughs> also, I've got to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really being drawn, being drawn towards PC gaming again. Again, <sighs> player unknown battlegrounds. I really want to play this game. So, like, I either buy a PC or I wait and get an Xbox <laughs> and play it on Xbox. But like I I watch like one of my favorite things on the internet right now is a Polygon live streaming series called Awful Squad. And they, it's basically a, a group of Polygon uh journalists playing uh player on the battlegrounds. And everyone that I know that plays this game just says it's absolutely incredible. So I'm I'm being drawn towards this as well. So like, there's just this thing that keeps rattling around in my brain of like, shall I just buy one of these Corsair 
dealios and go for it. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. And I know that every person in the audience that is a PC gamer is immediately opening Twitter to tell me why I should do this or why I shouldn't mm-hmm. buy a Corsair but should build my own. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm not sure yet. It's, I keep feeling, I keep feeling a pull towards it, but I'm trying to resist because I just. It will maybe... be coming to PS4 though, right? Uh, maybe eventually there isn't any time frame on it. Like, hmm. I I heard it's the end of this year. I could be wrong, um, but I mean, is it still in early access on Steam? Yeah, yeah. So my guess is that because the uh, consoles don't really, I mean, well, Xbox kind of has one uh, done on a game by game basis. But my guess is the customers are going to prefer the fully realized version and for that reason i guess it will come to both towards the end of the year so as long as you can wait until the end of the year uh then again you'll probably be paying playing your um nintendo classic super nintendo whatever mini by <laughs> that'll then. be taking up all my time yeah <laughs> <laughs> who needs mario i'll just get the snes i've got a game of the week as well i haven't actually started playing it yet but that's because i've been insanely back-to-back and will not have any time until Friday. And on Friday, I will go into a full-on alpha mode frenzy with a game by one of my favourite developers in the history of video games. The developer, of course, is my beloved Housemark. And the game is Nex Machina, which is inspired by Robotron. Indeed, they worked with Eugene Jarvis in collaboration to create this next generation of the original classic Robotron game. It's been reviewed incredibly well. I think Destructoid gave it a 9.5, but that doesn't surprise me. There is no company on the face of the earth, as far as I can tell, that does revivals of old-school shooters with as many voxels and as much glow and crazy effects as Housemark do. Technically, they are absolutely astounding. They're probably unparalleled in terms of getting the most out of PlayStation hardware, certainly. Um, you know, they, they just chuck every pixel it's possible to chuck on the screen and light it beautifully. But the hard thing here was going to be, well, how do you resurrect this decades-old game and make it relevant? And it does sound like they've managed to pull it off. So I'm an absolute arcade game freak. If you make a really decent old-school arcade game and bring it up to date, that's the kind of thing I'll be on. So I can't wait. On Friday, I am going to be downloading it and getting on with the blasting yeah i've been seeing this reviewed really well actually like every everywhere that i've seen it popping up people seem to be speaking really highly of it not your sort of game federico i'm just thinking about zelda man it's like <laughs> it's friday when when, when is friday <sighs> i just two, two day, two days three days i don't even know anymore <laughs> 